Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we climb the hills, tackle the bends and endure the potholes of issues to do with motoring and transport, while trying to avoid cheap puns. I'm David Brown, and in this program we take a look at the latest news stories with David Campbell, including Ford's new business plan. We have been to the launch of the Hyundai Kona, a small SUV, adventurous in its looks without going over the top. We speak to Kevin Kang, the creative designer from Hyundai, who came out from Los Angeles for the launch, and we talk about why it looks the way it does. We give a review of how a dedicated rev head should watch the Bathurst 1000 car race. And in our panel discussion, we take an optimistic look at some quirky news stories, including Jamie Oliver's Land Rover is transformed into a mobile kitchen. We have a guest appearance from our artist-in-residence, Dean Oliver. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, to begin the program... Let's have the news. Ford's new CEO, Jim Hackett, who took over in May, has recently outlined his business plan to investors. Key points include Ford intends to cut about $14 billion in costs over the next five years, by slicing the amount of time it takes to develop products and by reducing the number of unique parts per vehicle. About a third of the funds earmarked for internal combustion development have been diverted into designing fully electric and electrified hybrid vehicles. Ford will allocate $7 billion towards future development of crossovers and SUVs which are driving Ford's profits and the bulk of the automaker's sales. And finally, it will reduce development time by about 20% by amping up the use of robotics, 3D printing and virtual reality to design and engineer forthcoming vehicles. Overdrive has reported extensively on autonomous vehicles and how they will change the future of motoring. But the development of autonomous vehicles is not limited to road-going cars and trucks. Both Boeing and Airbus are investing heavily in automated aircraft, and it might not be long before pilots are not required to fly you from A to B. Boeing has recently announced that it is acquiring US company Aurora Flight Sciences, a maker of drones and aviation parts, in a bid to bring increased automation to airliners, military drones and even air taxis. Boeing is on the record for saying that it is exploring automation possibilities for commercial aircraft. This is partly in response to concerns that the industry will experience a shortage of pilots in the near future. Meanwhile, European rival Airbus is undertaking full-scale testing of the electric propulsion system for its small four-passenger City Airbus vertical takeoff and landing commuter aircraft. It's designed to be pilot-operated when it is due to be launched next year, but will transition to being fully autonomous once the tech catches up. While sales of new cars continue to increase in Australia, in the UK it is a different story. The British new car market has declined for a sixth consecutive month, with an especially sharp drop in diesel sales. In September, sales were down 9.3% on the same month last year, and on a year-to-date basis, car registrations have slipped nearly 4%. With recent publicity about the banning of diesel vehicles in Europe, demand for diesel cars fell steeply, down 21.7% in September and 13.7% for the year so far. 
Sales of alternatively fueled cars jumped 41%, giving them a 5.3% share of the overall market. Tesla has delayed the unveiling of an electric semi-truck until November, so the automaker can focus its attention on production problems with its new mass-market car, the Model 3. The all-electric semi-truck unveiling was originally scheduled for October. CEO Elon Musk said the company is in deep production hell, referring to the Model 3. Tesla has produced just 260 of its new Model 3 electric cars in the third quarter, dramatically missing Musk's prediction that it would produce more than 1,500 cars by September. Mercedes is about to upset the global ute market with the world's most high-tech compact pickup, the new X-Class. The German luxury brand will offer a range of models, starting with a fleet version with a vinyl floor, through to stretching to a luxury prestige edition. However, X-Class will be the most powerful diesel in its category, and has many advanced safety features including adaptive cruise control, radar and multiple cameras. X-Class is due in Australian showrooms in early 2018. Price is yet to be announced, but the three-model lineup is expected to range from $40,000 to beyond $70,000, making it the most expensive ute on the market locally. Dyson, the British appliance company, which is best known for its bagless vacuum cleaners, is about to enter the car-making industry. Founder and chief engineer James Dyson has officially confirmed his company is developing an electric car and is planning for a 2020 launch. The company is committing over $2 billion to the program. Not only does Dyson have 400 employees currently working on its electric car project, but the program has drawn some high-profile executives from both Aston Martin and Tesla. The company intends to keep its electric car plan secret due to the fierce nature of the industry. And that has been the news. Hyundai has just launched its new small SUV, the Kona, onto the Australian market. It has an adventurous style, without going over the top as much as, say, the Toyota CHR, and without going as downright quirky as the Nissan Duke. Overdrive caught up with Kevin Kang, the creative manager of Hyundai American Design Centre, who came to Australia from Los Angeles for the launch. We were standing in rather windy conditions in rural countryside in the Australian Capital Territory. Beside us was a high-spec Kona, the Highlander, painted in their rather conspicuous acid yellow colour scheme. Kevin, small sedans are getting less fashionable than SUVs. Small sedans are often practical in their look. Is the SUV an opportunity to be more adventurous? I think so, and I think um, that's what we tried to capture in the design of the Kona. I think the SUV is fantastic because not only does it give you a lot of space inside, but at the same time, you get the looks that is rugged. It looks adventurous, so it's something very unique and different. Whereas I think sedans could be sometimes a little boring. So I think for the young market especially, it's a perfect car. Do you think that some of the adventurous design may then go over into sedans? Uh, we'll see about that. I mean, this is the starting point, and I think um, we didn't really think about sedans, honestly, when we were designing it. Mm. But if it's powerful enough, why not? You talked about having almost two characters to it. What were they? So we tried to really fuse like this high-tech sleekness on the top of the vehicle with this kind of an active, adventurous character down below, especially around the cladding. So it's kind of a mix of 
best of two attributes into one design. And that one attribute might be I'm taking it around the city and the other is? Is outdoors. Like where we are right now, I think is a perfect example. The gravel roads, um, the back doors where we just drove this morning, um, the, the outbacks of Australia is a perfect place for this to go off-roading. So. Not many people might get to do it, but they might feel that they could do it. Is that part of the image? I think so. I think, um, and the key image lifestyle that we try to go after is somebody who lives in the city, but really just kind of admires the outdoor adventure during the weekends. Maybe you cannot do that every weekend, but you know, someday, right? You're going to go out there, get your car dirty, go off-roading, and that's the image that we try to portray in the vehicle. So professional during the week and dirty on the weekend. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So you often in your presentation talked about him doing it. Is it a masculine design? I think in any SUV it should come across as kind of a rugged, tough, um, I wouldn't say exactly masculine in design, but you, sh you need to capture the SUV-ness to the design itself and that's very important. And I think that's something that is universally appealing both uh, for males and females. So this is the look we try to go after. In some ways, um, it's good that uh, the feminine approach isn't soft and fluffy. It can be as adventurous as the male approach is now merged into one. Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, but I think the most important thing, like I say again, is um, when you're designing an SUV, there's a, a certain look that you have to capture. And I think you have to uh, keep in mind that if you just go after soft and kind of a you know petite look that it may not work for an SUV design so yeah the colors have to be bold I think yeah absolutely high S contrast some are particularly bold yeah. this uh, acid yellow do you think many will take that or, or is it a hero color I think this is you know when I, this is my favorite color by the way the acid yellow and first and foremost because it is unique and when you see one drive by it's an image that you just don't forget mm -hmm. so I think it's better than staying vanilla and being black or white all the time but this color I mean looking at it right now it's it's fantastic so you have some Asian heritage, ethnicity, but a great American accent. Is that a metaphor for the modern company that it crosses a lot of cultures? Yeah, I think it helps to be um, diverse and I think it helps to understand different cultures. And I, I think it's what's really great is for me to be here in Australia and understand the Australian market also is, I think, fantastic for the world of design because the more you see the world out there, the more you can cater towards certain markets. So I'm hoping that my diverse background helps designing. Uh, the market's significantly different. Is it a compromise to try and get one design to fit all? Uh, in this particular case, we didn't do that. I think we tried to be bold and we really weren't trying to be so careful in designing. We just wanted something that is just out there and really just iconic. Kevin, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you. You're listening to Overdrive. This is a story of devotion and commitment about our good friend and motoring journalist, Brent Davidson. Brent recently did a post on Facebook which said, The first plate of spiced chicken wings has been served. The first tapas platter is out. The first beer has been cracked. Bathurst weekend has officially started. The race started actually on Sunday at 11am, but the post was dated Saturday 1.12pm. Brent joins us on the line. Brent, watching Bathurst races, is this a labour of love, pure relaxation or a religious commitment? Oh, a bit of a bit of everything, David. A bit of everything. It's it's uh, it's it's a good way to um, to uh, commune with my other half. She's a bit of a redhead too, you see. So um, we 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 get a chance to sit down and spend spend a quiet weekend on the couch, 
discussing who will or won't win. How's that? That, that? That's just a simple, simple way to spend some time together. Surely this is a sign of a true marriage, which I know for you has been long and loving, in that the older you get, the closer you get in common interests. So she's part of this Bathurst ritual? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm one of these uh, very lucky uh, chaps who, um, who, who has a, a wife who actually... Um, enjoys motor racing, enjoys cars, doesn't like, like going fast when she's in the car, but watches, enjoys watching other people go fast. She has a certain enjoyment of the looks of some of the drivers too, doesn't she? It's not a nice thing to say about your wife that she's infatuated with another man, but, but, but I understand it. Uh, she, she has a, had up until uh, Saturday a, a little bit of a, um, a, a grip on Craig Lowndes, but uh, she admitted to me on Sunday morning that that, that slipped and she's replaced it with a, a young New Zealand fellow named Richie Stanaway. Craig Lowndes is 43 years old, and for her that's a bit old. I must confess I'm struggling with that. Yeah, let's not go any further, David. It's, it's, it's a bit hard for me to take as well. <laughs> well, they say it doesn't matter where you get your appetite as long as you eat at home. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> You started watching on Saturday. There was some broadcast on Friday. Did you feel the need to look at these? Well, actually, I did start watching on Friday. Um, I, I shut the office at, uh, at midday and uh, walked four metres to my couch and plonked them in front of the Fox Box. It's like the Royal Show. You know, the, the, the Royal Show opens on, uh, on Thursday and they, op- they officially open it a week later. So I officially opened Bathurst in the, uh, in the Davison household at... Uh, at uh, 1.12 on Saturday afternoon. I thought, I thought that was fairly appropriate. Did you sit down and watch it in absolute real time or do you record just maybe getting half an hour so you can skip through the ads? Or do you, as I say, do you watch it live? No, we're, we're real-timers. We watch the whole thing um, go to woe uh, as it happens, as it unfolds, according to Fox. Like any true mystical experience, I guess, then you have to have an element of pain and suffering. Now, let's look at some of that. I haven't seen Friday too much. That's a bit of practice. Practice, yeah. Look, Saturday has practice as well, and I really like that because this is when the teams haven't long been on the circuit. They've had development all year. They've been trying different things. But now, if you pardon that appalling part, the rubber hits the road, where they're really pushing fast. I, I haven't watched a lot of V8 supercars, but going back to an absence made the heart grow fonder, I thought they were really driving uh, the legs off those things, pushing to the limits and maybe even beyond the ragged edge. Absolutely, but what we have to understand is that there, there are, there are two, um, two distinct halves to the Bathurst race. Uh, Friday and most of Saturday is spent getting the cars set up to go as fast as possible, to actually go along that ragged edge and, and set times that uh, nobody would think possible. After that, the cars are then pulled back from that, the, the, the extremity to the point where on, on, in the Sunday morning warm-up, they're getting them into race trim so that they'll be a few seconds a lap slower but a lot, lot easier and better to drive, a bit more forgiving. The thing I like about Saturday too, and I used to go up to the Saturday races as a spectator for the practice session and then come home and watch it live. So the, the practice gave me that sense of speed and being close to it, but watching it on television gave me the whole view, which I think is a different thing. But uh, the thing about practice, even watching it on television, I admire the commentators uh, greatly, but there is a time for the mute button. But even then, they recognise there are times when they don't need to talk. A whole lap from inside the car with the telemetry showing what the uh, car is doing. 
I find that fascinating. Look, I have to say, David, that, that most of the time I could, I could live with that alone. Um, you're right, the commentators are very good at what they do, uh, very knowledgeable, very handy to listen to, but sometimes you just want to shut off that level of intrusion and just hear, hear the... It, it becomes an experiential thing. You know, you just want to see the picture and, and hear the noise and, you know, you, you can almost feel what the drivers are feeling. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, it's time to get the team back together again. On the line, I have, of course, the regulars for the quirky news stories, Errol Smith and Brian Smith. Gentlemen, good day. Good day. Good day, David. And it is with great pleasure that we introduce again, after a long hiatus, the Overdrive resident artist, Dean Oliver. And he joins us now. Dean, hello. How are you? Oh, David, hello. Look, the, the, the band is back together again. Yep. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> it's midnight. We've got we've got sunglasses on, and uh, we're in the old combi van. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a half tank of petrol, a yeah. packet of cigarettes. Go! I think Let's that's it. it. Uh, Dean, did coming back with the team? Did that bring back any memories for you? Fond memories, David. But there's just not enough time to go into some of those stories. You did mention something about, like, getting into an old car. Well, uh, rejoining the overdrive team, it's a little bit like hopping into one of those old cars, those, those old cars with the smells uh, of old cars, old, old leather seats and creaky doors and, uh, and that carton of strawberry milk that you spilled in the back seat a few years ago. But in a nice way, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yes. it's not unpleasant, it's that delightful, It's friendly, it's family, it, it, it's just like family. Ah, well, that brings us to the first story. Jamie Oliver has a Land Rover with much flair. They say they've transformed into a mobile kitchen featuring a toaster, a gas hob, and even a herb garden. Now, uh, whether this is a bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, Errol might seem to think it's a, a little that way, but, Dean, I was deeply offended by this because, without doubt... This has been done years ago with a combi of which you are a proud owner. Could you describe your vehicle? Indeed I am, David. It's a 1975. It's a uh, Type 2 combi. It's a camper van. And uh, it's always been a camper van uh, with some modifications from my dear late father. And like all handyman, um, he improvised as he went. Uh, it came with, uh, you know, the pop-up top and all that kind of thing. But he added various things. He uh, improvised on the seats and the, uh, he built uh, cupboards and installed mirrors and uh, added all the things you need to travel around Australia, which uh, my parents did and had a wonderful time. My mum was an artist. She enjoyed painting and drawing along the way. And so um, it became a mobile studio, which was wonderful. I think there's nothing more lovely than to have a passion and a reason to travel around as well, you know, like museums and get all those sorts of things. But even people that travel to different golf courses, I don't want to take that too far, nor belittle your mother's painting, but the principle of having something constructive, artistic to do is just a wonderful idea of travelling into the wild blue yonder. Brian, does and that capture yes, your yes, like imagination? All nomads, they met wonderful people along the way and, and had a, a tremendous adventure. Look, it's a tradition. I like the idea of doing it yourself, you know, rather than buying some big 
pre-fitted out Winnebago oh. that you take a vehicle and you you know you you tinker with it. In many mm. ways, they're like a sort of a yacht, but on on the um, the road, and you know you just sort of tinker with them and and you add a bit here and see if the gimbals work over there. I I, I love it. I, I'm not so sure about Jamie Oliver's thing. It seems much more like just attention-seeking behavior. Um, yes. I mean, he's, he's shown in one photograph, you know, toasting, toast in the centre console. And I tell you what, if, if he's got a child next to him, and I suspect he, every time he wants to toast something, he has to take a DVD out of the toaster um, or <laughs> peel a small child's fingers off. Yeah, the fingers. <laughs> Jamie's Land Rover might well have been more decked out for a, a long commute around the, is it the M25, the ring road around <laughs> London? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where people can spend their whole lives uh, just commuting. Mm. But... I was a bit concerned about the rotisserie and the safety element. You know, it's, yes. it sticks out the front. I imagine, you know, it could be handy. You, you drive through a paddock full of beef and, you know, by the time you get to the other side, you've got a kebab ready to go. But but it does look <laughs> like a, a, you know, a very dangerous piece of extrusion for, for customers. And, and he makes hot things in there. So, mm. again, you know, you've got a, a slow cooker in there that I'm not as think is all that compatible with commuting. Yes, there's a slow cooker in the uh, engine bay and I, I do wonder how your you know your uh, slow cooked lamb would smell having been around the engine i noticed you can also swap out the rotisserie for a pasta maker <laughs> i've actually cooked food in the engine bay of a car so you know on holidays in tasmania i bought scallop pies actually fantastic things and um you know wrapped them in foil put them in the engine bay drove and the, by the time we got to lunch they were pie hot i think you've got to be careful but uh, there was no hint of taste or smell or something like that from the engine you've got to wrap them up i think rather intently i think isn't it in foil but dean safety we're deeply concerned about uh, jamie oliver's safety of his car i presume of course the combi was the epitome of safety well deeply concerned is one thing with jamie's uh, land rover deeply concerned with safety is not something that was terribly high on the priorities of the early camper van um, uh, modifiers and uh, they came with spirit stoves or maybe later on LPG gas stoves. And combis were prone to, um, well, uh, combust, spontaneous combustion sometimes. And uh, some of them even were probably sort of early examples of improvised explosive devices. And uh, more than one combi camper van went up in flames when the owner or chef owner uh, least expected it. Can I tell you a story? I went to Dubbo for the annual get-together of the volunteer firemen. Flew up by helicopter, as it turns out. It was rather lovely. Took the family up. Uh, I didn't fly it, but uh, the point was we got there and there were occupational health and safety rules. So they had some demonstrations, bales of hay burning, and they had to get the hoses out and put it out, but they weren't allowed to run because it was just... (laughs) It was just a demonstration, so they had to walk in order to be safe. And you've never seen so many disappointed firemen who ambled up and put the hose on to put it out. But just across the way was a caravan park and a combi caught on fire. And so the trucks were allowed to drive there and then the volunteer firemen could run from the trucks. You've never seen so many happy gentlemen in their whole life that here they were finally be able to prove that they could move and move quickly and uh, all brought to them by an internally combusting combi. And one less poor old combi van to deal with. Oh, dear. Yes, yes, it was a win-win. It was a win-win situation because <laughs> there's one less combi on the road. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dean, I was wondering when you made the modifications to the combis, was it done in a sort of a, a hidden way? Because that's what they've done with this um, Land Rover, is that everything's kind of hidden away until you, you know, open, well, flip look, open a panel or something. It's all very, like Q from James Bond was involved in, in creating Yeah, so Errol, look, when, when things were hidden uh, in the combi vans, it was probably mainly to um, assist in registration each year so that uh, registration might have been approved. But yes, there were hidden panels. There were all sorts of secret enclaves in the inside of the combi van. And um, yeah, modifiers were, were uh, quite uh, free in what they could do. I don't think most of the new combi vans would, uh, or, or combi van variants these days, I think the owner's uh, improvisations probably wouldn't quite get through um, uh, registration. Uh, yeah. Our combi van had... a lot had, of plywood, um, wasn't there, Dean? A lot of plywood. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, three-ply uh, plywood. And, you know, the, that chipboard, which sort of expands uh, over years ah, when hot water yes. and things like that get on it. And, uh, oh, dear. Yeah. And, of course, for combi, and, and the old combi van, you know, you, you look into the crevices and there's bull dust and uh, all sorts of things that have crept in there over the years. I think your combi would actually be worth a considerable amount of money, mainly for the artwork that's in there. You have a number of pieces by some rather famous artists. Well, my, uh, my mother and, and I both studied at the old Julian Ashton Art School in Sydney. And uh, we were fortunate to travel and paint with Richard Ashton, uh, Julian Richard Ashton, over the many years. And we had a, a couple of Dick's pictures in the combi van, uh, which he gave and, to us. And my father happily framed the little pictures and hung them in the combi van. Some unthinking soul once suggested that the pictures were probably more valuable in the combi van. Uh, but, uh, not the way it's going now, I don't think. I think that there's uh, value in them, their wheels, Dean. Yes, yes, it certainly is. Um, at least the, the combi vans these days, they're not losing money. And so uh, they're one of the few vehicles which are not spectacular investments for the later models, but they're uh, holding their own and gradually increasing in value. And I often think if only it was an early model split-screen combi, that, wow. that would be our superannuation. Uh, Dean, can we just clarify, when you said they're not losing money, you're not referring to the owners who have to keep them going, you're referring to the resale value? Uh, resale values are encouragingly uh, bright. As long as they're in good condition, oh, well. There's a big thing with re uh, old cars now that they're in genuine condition, and sometimes they are selling for more than those that are restored mm. to a level that they were never built in the first place. And they have that patina of age about them, which is wonderful. Gentlemen, it's been lovely to have the band back together again. I thank you all your time. Dean, good to hear from you, mate. All the lovely best. Lovely to be with you, David. Brian and Errol. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. No worries, And that's Brian Smith, Errol Smith, and our artist in residence, Dean Oliver, talking some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, David Campbell, Brian Smith, Paul Just and Dean Oliver for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au 
or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.